You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. All right, welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, episode 30. Um, obviously, this week the voice is a little bit more majestic, and that's because Dalton this week is out, and so it'll just be a, a three man weave of Lucas, Isaiah, and myself, Connor, uh, fill in host. Try not to screw things up. Dalt's done a good job so far, and it's just damage control here this week for me. So, Lucas, Isaiah, how are we feeling? Episode 30 here. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. Oh, is that Dalt? Oh, he made it. Oh, All right, hey, Dalt. Back. Nah, feeling good. You know, we made it 30 episodes. 30. You know, when I told my mom we were starting a podcast, she laughed in my face. But here we are, 30 episodes later, she's still probably laughing. That's the kind of support that podcasters need That's to get what themselves we need. off the ground. So just want to give a shout out to the, uh, you know, the Tell em Sports Faithful Mini Market Podcast listeners. We appreciate you. And I'm pointing into the camera right now. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, how about that? If you've listened to all 30 episodes, give us a shout out on Twitter, you know? We'd love to see who's uh, been with us through the thick and the thin at Tell em Sports on Twitter. I will say that I've had a couple people throughout the process, and I should say a couple because it hasn't been too many, but have reached <laughs> out and just said like, oh, like I'm LOLing at this situation or, oh, this was funny or this was a horrible take. And that's a ton of fun, I think, for all of us to just get outside opinions, even if it's on like, you know, get a random text from like, you know, somebody you haven't talked to in a year and they stumble across it and say, Hey, laughed at this, or it's, it's been a lot of fun for us to like kind of reflect on it a little bit and actually know people are listening. So appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally sitting in a basement. So any interaction I can get with another human being is just <laughs> delightful. So reach out, let us know what you think. Anyways, um, so let's just dive right in. We're going to do a little recap of the Minnesota sports and then uh, try to do some some Olympic chatter with uh, the Olympic events kind of in the full swing now. So I think we get started with some Wolves talk. We really haven't touched on the Wolves, I think, too much in the last couple weeks. And uh, it's time. It's time to dive back in, Ike. Big trade this week. Um, I know you wrote an article that you can read on tellemsports.com. Um kind of diving into that article. So I, let's get your, uh, your opinions on how that trade went down. Yeah, so I think it was clear to a lot of people that uh, Gerson Rosas was pretty interested in trying to make some sort of draft night moves. Uh, I think he was trying to use that sort of incentive that kind of comes for GMs and that sort of hard deadline that gets people going to take advantage of that and try to make a few moves to bolster the Wolves roster. Uh, for me, no bias here. I don't know if he necessarily ended with the moves that he was looking to make uh, in particular. Uh, I don't know if the Rubio Prince move is necessarily like the ultimate end goal uh, for what Rosas uh, sees for this roster. Um, a little bias. I am a Ricky Rubio guy. I do hate to see, I hate to see I him traded say. once again for kind of, Nothing. Not nothing, because Prince is a serviceable player, and he's he's been in the NBA for uh, around six, seven years. He's He's been on some okay teams, I guess, and he's a fairly good shooter. So it's not nothing. The Wolves didn't get nothing for him. But uh, for me, it feels like when you've got a young team, young core, and you're looking to try to make that next step, you need good veteran leadership. And I think Rubio has proven that he is capable of being a guy that at least with this Timberwolves team, like he's connected really well with Chris Finch. He's connected obviously really well with Anthony, Anthony Edwards. He's played with Kat on a couple different regimes. Uh, I know he butted heads with D'Lo a little bit, but I think Rubio is the type of guy who can get past that type of thing. And he's going to do what's best for the team. So for a team that's looking to make a leap with a lot of young players to trade a kind of bona fide veteran in Ricky Rubio, it doesn't, for me, make a ton of sense when you add in a guy like Torian Prince who's not really been on any good teams. And so when you add a guy like Torian Prince, yeah, his shooting numbers kind of do, they they jump off the page a little bit of like, what's the need that the Wolves need? It's shooting in the power forward position. Boom, Torian Prince, he's a shooter in the power forward position. But he's also a guy who's just been on bad teams his whole career. Like 
the time that he spent with the Hawks when he was actually a starter and playing significant minutes, they were bad. And that was in the Eastern Conference. He snuck into the playoffs once with a Nets team. Uh, and he kind of was a starter, kind of wasn't. So for me, it's like, it's just adding another guy in Torian Prince that we've seen this story before, sort of a guy who's been on multiple teams. None of those teams have done that well. He personally has decent numbers. You think, all right, he's the guy who's going to step in and change things with this Wolves team. He's this last little click in, but it's a Kenyon Martin. It's, it's, it's just another guy that we is going to maybe put up some numbers, but not influence the team's win loss record. That's kind of how I felt about it in general as a, as a synopsis. I don't know how you guys felt about it. Yeah, I thought it was, um, you know, I, I, I'm not as big of a Rubio supporter as you. I'm not a naysayer in Rubio. It just, I, I don't know, just to be honest, I don't know if I understand his role as well as like an in-depth basketball player or in-depth basketball fan, I should say. I understand he gets the offense moving, he moves the ball, but it just seems like in the NBA right now, you need a point guard that can also score at a decent clip. Rubio doesn't seem like that guy. Um, I, I always want more three-point shooters on the team, and that's something that it seems like Prince can do at a decent clip. I know you detailed that in the article. Um, one of my questions is, do you think this was a move to make another move, or do you think this was just like he was Rosas was feeling the pressure, has to make some kind of move, and this is the best that he could go with? Or was this a move that he was hoping would um, become another move that would benefit us a little bit more. Maybe I don't know if you have a thought on that, Isaiah. I was just curious because it doesn't seem like the big move that maybe honestly the Wolves fans have almost come accustomed with with Rosas over the last you know two years. Yeah, kind of weird to have a trade with just one team involved, right? Boring. Like it was just two teams. Like where's that third team? Did we miss the memo? Type uh, I. <laughs> I think I do agree with you. I think some of the financial aspects of this trade make it do- it does make it seem like he's looking to kind of put the team in a better position financially. So it kind of the trade necessarily wasn't just for Prince. You got a draft pick in a year, but you also got some cap space. And the they're delaying actually like going through with the trade until like I think in August because that's where the Wolves will get like the most money back. So I think that does outline that Rosas has like a bigger plan in general uh, in terms of trying to free up, maybe sign somebody or, you know, sign and trade, like that kind of thing. So I think he was trying to make the money work a little bit because the Wolves have been pressed uh, up against the um, cap. So I think he was just trying to give himself a little wiggle room. The thing for me that feels weird about it in terms of like, I do think that this is like a trade for future trades was like Rubio was like one of the better trade pieces that the wolves had and were willing to part with. So to use him in this sort of like filler trade for a bigger trade doesn't feel like the best move when he's one of your best what trade pieces. And I don't mm-hmm. think Torian Prince is going to get the same value as Ricky Rubio, obviously, because we've got a bunch of money in a draft pick with, with him too. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what he's going to do. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of moves left in this summer, at least from uh, Gerson Rosas and the Timberwolves. Ike, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, did we, did the Timberwolves extend two offers to restricted free agents this week? I thought I saw um, Jordan McLaughlin, Jordan McLaughlin and Jaden Vanderbilt. Daniels, I think, wasn't those, it? Oh yeah. 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 Vanderbilt. Were those the two players? I think they extended a, Uh, an offer to and they're both restricted free agents um any any thoughts on that on on that like are those two guys that you see them continuing to grow with not to move the topic off the trade but are those two players you see that will be around for a little while is or, or or do you think they're you know extending them to use them as a trade piece uh i think they're not probably trade pieces i think they're guys that they think could make impacts i uh Jared Vanderbilt played quite a bit. He got starting minutes in this down the stretch. Uh, he's a good, like high energy defensive player, like almost like a, obviously this isn't a fair comp, but Dennis Rodman type player. We're like, mm. he's not going to give you a ton offensively, but he's going to rebound. Like his life depends on it. He's going to run the floor. He is a switchable power forward. So he can play a lot of positions on defense. Um, I think people see a, 
fairly high upside with him. He's super athletic, got bricks for hands, like just cannot catch the ball when they throw it <laughs> to him on offense. It's just like, sometimes it's hard to watch, but I think they, they see him developing nicely. So I, I'm not surprised that they would resign him. Uh, McLaughlin, I've talked about him, I think in the past, but to me, he's kind of that guy. Where it's like, he's such a Minnesota feel good guy. Like he's just the little guy got made it his way up. He's, he's just grinded through the G league to get to the Timberwolves. He showed up and showed out when he got minutes. Ryan Saunders is a big fan of his and he is tiny and he can do some things offensively, but he's really like, if they're comfortable with him being like their second point guard after D'Angelo, I think the Wolves roster has a little bit of some issues. I don't know if he's necessarily a backup point guard right now in the NBA. I just don't think he's versatile enough defensively uh, to be helpful for this team. So I think that might indicate that they're still going to be probably trying to find another point guard or Ant's going to, you know, bring the ball up a little bit more often than he did last year. So that's kind of how I feel about those two. I'm, I'm high on Vanderbilt personally. Mm-hmm. And McLaughlin is like, he's fun. He's a feel-good story, but it's like, when do we stop doing that as an organization? Like, yeah. When is that the least interesting thing? Because for the longest time, the feel-good stories have been the most interesting thing for the Timberwolves. Yeah. Well, speaking of bricks for hands, that seems like a good opportunity to transition over to the Vikings, um, a team that has struggled to get a third wide receiver. And Lucas, do you want to talk a little bit? It looks like we had an injury this week uh, kind of in the receiving core. Yes. Um, so BC Johnson, the uh, long lost brother of Calvin Johnson, as some like to say, torn ACL out for Same the season. Moms. Same. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's done. So, uh, honestly, the signing of D.D. Westbrook couldn't have come probably at a better time. Um, so it's really just going to be between Chad Beebe and D.D. Westbrook for that third spot. It looks like the third wide receiver spot. So, um Tough, tough look. BC's, you know, he's a decent player out there. He he hasn't been really, you know, a huge part of the offense, but I mean, he he, he can come in and hold his own better than than you know Laquan Treadwell could have. So, um, bummer to yeah, bummer to see it. him uh, see him go down, but hopefully he'll come back, you know, better than ever. Um, some other Vikings news though. Just saw this today actually. Uh, COVID outbreak amongst the quarterbacks. Kellen Mond, newcomer Kellen Mond, has tested positive for COVID-19. And Kirk Cousins is um, one of those, you know, high-risk, high-contact people with him. I'm sure they're in meetings and stuff together at training camp. So uh, all top three quarterbacks currently out of training camp. The NFL can do all they want penalty-wise to try to protect these quarterbacks, but just know nobody's safe. Nobody is Nobody's safe. safe. They want, they want to make sure all the teams have all, you know, their starting quarterbacks throughout the whole season. Well, COVID just there to remind you that nobody is safe in the quarterback position or anywhere on the field for that. I did see a quote from um, Zimmer from the press conference, and he just kind of talked about his frustrations with the process and everything like that. But hopefully everything will get back to normal here um, in terms of those people being healthy and quarantined and and we move past that as we go into training camp here and um, continue through the preseason. Yeah, I saw that 15-yard personal foul for uh, on COVID there. Yeah. That yellow flag was hang- hanging out. Review, taking that play back. There's a penalty on the play. Can't have that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty much it there for the, uh, the Vikings until we get into uh, the next couple weeks when the preseason gets started and Training camp really starts to buzz, so uh, we'll transition over into the Wild. Um, the Wild kind of had a busy week um, this last week. They signed a handful of players, a lot of really a ton of role players, and then um, Alex Goligoski is pretty much the biggest um, the biggest sign that they had last week. Goligoski is a golfer. I believe he graduated in 2003, 2004, somewhere in that time frame. Um, was originally drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, he's been kind of all around the league. He's been a really pretty solid player throughout his time in the NHL. He's had nine seasons with 30 or more points. He's a pretty good defensive defenseman, and and the Wild paid him um, a decent amount to uh, for his services, I should say. So he's you know one of the 
four highest, five highest paid players on the team right now. Um, it's interesting to see if the Wild will make a big splash here, if they'll sign any um, bigger names going forward. They tried to add some depth at the center position. Um, there's obviously been a ton of talks about trying to sign uh, Kaprizov to a long, long-term deal. Um, other than that, I mean, the Wild just keep chugging along, signing some, signing some decent players. But again, nobody that really, I would say, moves the needle too much. I think there's some upside with some of the guys, but nothing that's like, oh, yeah, we got him now. So, Two things on Goligoski. One, he fits the bill of a wild defenseman. He's under six foot, under baby. 190 pounds. Yeah, baby. Love to see that. That's exactly what we're looking for, a little consistency on the blue line. Second, when the wild, like, social media team was, like, pushing, like, this is the guy. We got him. He's our guy. Like, they had him at the X. He was wearing his jersey. Like, he, they're kind of showing him around and stuff. Was anybody else like, who's this guy? Like, did we get, did we sign like a new assistant GM? Like, is this a new <laughs> guy in the finance department? Like, cause he just did not look like a premier NHL defenseman. I, and if I hand up, if it's just me who thought that, it's just me who thought that. No smoke to you, Alex. But I just thought it was kind of funny. Like, so maybe it's something about seeing guys in hockey jerseys when they're not wearing pads. It just kind of makes them look like a fan. Small, small yeah. You're little, like, oh, that's interesting. Is it a fan appreciation night tonight? Uh, for sure. No, I think that's a, that's a funny point because hockey jerseys are like, of all the sports jerseys, the worst fitting, right? Like even the football jerseys, they make them so freaking tight. And football players are so big that when they when they wear their jerseys like without pads on, it's still like, oh yeah, he's a football player. But for a hockey guy, they're just swimming in those things. So it looks kind of goofy. Somebody throw this guy a hoodie. Yeah, I mean, they call him a sweater <laughs> yeah, so for a reason, that right? No kidding. Sweater is the right term. Uh, one interesting thing too about Goligoski, signing him. So he's from Grand Rapids, uh, Minnesota. So he's one of us, which is always fun. And like I said, he played at the Gophers. But the player that the Wild just drafted last week in the second round, Jack Pert, is actually also from Grand Rapids. So um, Goligoski had a nice quote about his dad saying that um, Jack Pert was like legit. He said he's the real deal. And he's like, my dad doesn't talk that way about just anyone. Um, his dad knows hockey pretty well, apparently. So that may be a fun little note to take away is maybe uh, this relationship between Goligoski and if Jack Pert decides to... Uh, Decides to come up to the club here this year. I doubt it, but maybe in the next couple of years, we might have something on our hands. So that's an exciting note for the future. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the future, uh, we can transition right over into the Twins. Uh, looks like they're moving towards the future. Uh, would love to get the opinions of this group on that. Uh, we can start with Lucas, but I know we kind of had all talked about hoping the twins maybe held it together for another year or two to make another push at the playoffs here. Um, after the deadline, we don't need to dive in too deep into the deadline details. We'll have a twins podcast coming out next week where we do that, but just kind of your initial thoughts on, um, on the trade deadline, what happened, the direction of the twins, Lou, how are we feeling? You know, I'm, I'm not super thrilled with, with the whole outcome. It kind of felt like they went, you know, half in, half out, you know, they were, they were kind of just 50, 50 on, you know, okay, we're going to go with the whole fire sale. We're going to do the whole rebuild, but we're also going to keep some guys and maybe not really. I mean, they've given up on this season. We know that, but like, you know, they move a couple Wait, of big what? names. <laughs> they move did a couple of big did names. Did, did, did breaking news here. Huh? You're blowing my mind. Wow. Dude. Shocker. But we moved Nelson Cruz, obviously. Still sad about that. Ike, sorry for your loss. Uh, Nelly and Rubio in the same week. Tough week. <laughs> tough week. It's been a tough one. Uh, and I'm then, hanging in. Of course, Barrios is gone. Um, that was a bummer, too. You know, he was just, we talked about him potentially being, you know, the face of the franchise going forward if we sign him long term. Um, and then you keep guys around like Buxton, Donaldson, Kepler, these other guys that that might have some value. Um, um, <clears throat> uh, one I am happy with Jay Hap, good riddance. Very happy he's gone. With that was no, long the door hit you on the way out. Jesus. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just was like they were obviously in a selling mood, but they like 
I don't know. Kind of, kind of in a selly mood, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah just woke up that <laughs> Ooh, day, like, all right, let's, let's chop it down. <laughs> let's let's get rid of some stuff, but like, oh, maybe not, maybe not all the nice stuff, you know. Like, ah, maybe we should keep this one just in case, you know. It felt a little know. bit like the twins were downsizing. Like, we'll get rid of a bunch of pieces, but we don't really, you know, we don't want to. That couch, we could still get some good that use one has out of in our two bedroom yeah, instead of the four on. bedroom. So I, I kind of agree on the half in, half out thing that you said, Lou, of like, I think Dalton talked about this on Twitter too, but he felt like the Twins didn't really have like, he thought, a strategy for what they were doing at the deadline. It was like, they're trading a bunch of key pieces here and not trading some other pieces that they could get stuff for there. So it felt a little scattered to him. Um, I, the more I've been thinking about it, and maybe this is just a total rationalization for getting me hyped for next year, because as you said, Lou, I'm just finding out now, but they've given up on this season. On show. Uh, so now I'm working mentally trying to get those gears turning of how can I get hyped for next year, not in a rebuild, and here's how I'm doing it. The Twins offense this year, well, let me start here. The Twins going into the season, we all were totally drinking the Kool-Aid and we were not the only ones. There yeah. was like our predictions, our preseason buzz. predictions were <laughs> yeah, just brutal. Ass what brutal. preseason predictions? We, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? I don't know what this guy's talking about, Connor. Mm, He's off the rails. Like Lou, I don't know what's going on with you. Um but so, you know, there was a lot of predictions of like the twins, both nationally and in Minnesota are going to be, they're going to be a sweet team. They're somebody to look out for in the American league. Like not saying world series talk, but like they're going to be competing to win the central, which is going to be one of the tougher divisions at the top, considering how good uh, everybody thought the white Sox was going to be. And they were right on that one. But so this team goes into the year, pretty high hopes. And then they kind of fall apart completely. And if you look at it, Dalton talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, it's not as much the whole team. It's kind of just the pitching staff this year. Like you can really just look at this and be like, it's the pitcher's fault. And this is not coming, Connor. I'm, I mean, no, I mean, no offense here. This is not coming mm -hmm. as a position player dogging on the pose, but it's kind of on the pose this year. The twins have a top their, their offensive ranking right now is like 11th in the MLB, like both leagues combined. So they've kind of held their own offensively. They've been brutal as a pitching staff. I think we can all agree on that, right? Oh, for sure. I don't, okay. and I, I think, Very yeah, brutal. I'm Very just going to let you roll, but yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So I just need a little confirmation there. So when you look at the moves that the twins made at the deadline, they just traded all their pitchers except for Nelson Cruz. But as Dalton has also said, you know, the DH is probably the easiest position to replace and you cannot replace Nelson Cruz, not on the field, not on the bench and not in my heart, but you can try. Uh, so there is a possibility that, you know, the twins are going to kind of roll with it a little bit next year of like, we're going to try to revamp the pitching staff. And that is way easier said than done. I totally agree. But like, I think part of it was like, we're going to keep our core line up together and then you're going to have Kirilov back you're going to have Rooker like playing consistently Cave will probably be out Buxton they're hoping will be back you maybe sign Simmons again maybe try to get a different shortstop maybe you bring up Royce Lewis like they might not be in that big of a rebuild in terms of their offense because they're still going to have Donaldson they're going to have all their catchers they're going to have hopefully not Sano playing first base, but hopefully somebody else playing first base. But it's really just like, maybe that's what they did. They were like, let's get a bunch of really good pitching prospects, which they got a few good pitching prospects uh, that could matriculate in the next two to three years. And then they're going to try to sort of revamp the pitching staff and run it back with the offense next year. So the, in a way, maybe did the Twins do what we kind of hoped they would do, which was kind of keep what they thought would work and as much as it much of it as they could for next year and still try to be competitive somehow or is it too much of an ask to try to totally rebuild a pitching staff in an off season i think this was a valiant effort to put it in the spin cycle <laughs> and i'm not saying it's wrong by any means but i just think one of the big points is if we were going to make a run next year i think we hang on to Barrios because I think for the burial specific trade, we got a good we got a good haul there. But I think if you're trying to make a move in the next two years, he's he's an, a bona fide number two or an okay number one that you can use with the lineup that we could potentially put out. But I think if we're gonna make a move in the next year or two, that's gonna be that's gonna be a vital piece would be hanging on to him and moving more position type players. But overall I think there's a chance we could have you know, 
be relevant in the next two years. The big thing is, do we do it? Do we go out and try to make the moves with the pitching staff, which it seems like pitching is a position that the twins, they don't love to spend money, but that's one position where they hate to spend money. Yeah. Like they will not go out yeah. and get big name pitchers to support our, our order. That's strong. So yeah, I'm or, nervous that it's, we're, we're heading towards the rebuild a little sooner than we wanted, but Honestly, I think overall it's disappointing, but I can understand why they felt they needed to do that. So, okay. I, I think I agree with you on Perios that, like, if you are looking to make a push next year, he's a guy you keep. But maybe, maybe my rationalization is that it's just going to be a shorter rebuild. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah. I'll, okay. So, I was just going to get your guys' temperature on this trade deadline in general. And I think it's kind of like a indictment of like the twins over the last few years. But like, did anybody feel like that strong emotional connection to any of the trades that were made? Did anybody feel like even even when they were floating Buxton as a as a trade piece, it didn't it didn't hit me in a way that you know trades in the past have, or you know conversations around trades in the past have. And I think that's sort of like that's a bad feeling as like a fan of a team when they're talking, there's a lot of talk about your best player getting traded and you feel almost no emotional connection to it. Whereas like you look at like the Cubs when they traded Rizzo, Baez and Yeah. I mean, I feel like I had more of a connection to those three guys going than any of the twins besides maybe Nelson Cruz going somewhere else. Which and Nelson Cruz is really like, weird. he's just, he's a hired gun. I'd say Barrios should have been the guy that it was like, wow, like, dang, like that actually stinks to see us lose Barrios. And I, maybe you feel different about it, Connor, because you've always been a Barrios guy, but it kind of says like, all right, maybe he just totally underperformed and under was underwhelming. Like when push comes to shove here, he was pretty good twins. in his debut today. <laughs> With Toronto. Yeah. I, I well, I, I, I just think that, I think that in general, I think this is an awesome point, a great, a great call out that I wouldn't have even noticed, but I've come, become a little numb to the whole thing as well. Like I, I wasn't shook up when they traded Barrios. I was kind of like, oh, that, like I want, my first thought was how good are these prospects? And then based on Twitter, based on some of the stuff Dalton was talking to us about, like these guys seem like they're pretty legit. So then I was pretty happy. I was like, Oh great. We got a good, what seems like a good haul, but it is interesting point because I, I was thinking about this as you were talking, I would have been way more sad if they were like Luis arises on the chopping block, which yeah. is like, what? Like yeah. Barrios is yeah. a, is a guy who we've thought could always Tortuga. <laughs> well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people were like, Oh, could this be, could this be a Cy Young potential pitcher in the near future or even this season? I thought there was a chance for Some him to of be us a Cy Young guy. <laughs> hand up on that. Um, and and I will say, like the national media among about the trade, like I think most people thought the Twins won the trade, but I think that shows how good Barrios maybe is. And so we've talked about this where in Minnesota sometimes we get so defensive on all oh, the big markets don't, you know, they don't appreciate our teams or our, our individuals and stuff. And, and maybe we were a little wrong on Barrios because like maybe we just got numb to him a little bit on, oh, we've seen him give up the big hit or we've seen him do this, that, or the other thing. Whereas his body works actually pretty good for the twins. It's probably not what we thought it was going to be, you know, but, um, but I agree with your point. This whole deadline, it's been like, I've been like, oh, that's all right. What did we get back more than I'm like, oh man, I can't believe we're losing this guy. And it's been, it's like, a, it almost feels like I'm getting old as a sports fan where I'm just like, whatever. Uh-huh. But I know that's Jaded. not it. It's just yeah. like, it's, it's just, this is what we've come to expect from the twins when the going gets tough, blow it up, which is frustrating yeah. a little bit. Agreed. I, I also think I agree with a lot of what you said there, Connor. You're the old guy in the Burke lounger. You lose dad in the Burke lounger. Yeah. Now, just like, oh, I, you know, but, uh. I think part of it too is that like the MLB season, like a baseball season is long. It's a long season. And I think as a fan where you really start to get that true connection to a player and to a group of guys, it's the playoffs. Yeah. 
it's when a team can make a playoff run, even win one series or two series, that's when you really start to lock in and be like, these are our guys. And I think that's why it's different for the Cubs fans. Obviously, their situation is so much more different. But then you look at like the Nationals, like they had a run, they lost Trey Turner now and uh, Scherzer. So like they have a, a bigger connection because that's when fans really lock in. And that's why people still like Michael Kadire and Nick Punto and Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau because those guys, those are guys that did things with the Twins. Mm-hmm. You're Barrios, in yeah, you, it's like, all right, he's gone. And he didn't win a playoff game ever. Nobody's won a playoff game on this roster for the Twins. Mm-hmm. So you just don't have that chance as a fan to really, really connect. And it's not saying that there's bandwagon fans out there. It's just like when the stakes are higher, you're going to become more emotionally invested into a group of guys, an individual player, mm-hmm. a performance where let's say they did make a run like two years ago in 2019 like let's say they actually won a series maybe two then this burial straight i think would make it be a lot harder i think if he had won a couple games in the playoffs i think then this trade would feel emotionally as a fan a lot harder because then you have these specific memories tied to him instead of like yeah barrios is good he's had a good season mm-hmm. over the course of the whole summer there's no like huge standout moment to you that's it's like wow we're losing that mm-hmm yeah, I think you guys make some some really good points. And I think two two things that I'm thinking about that that are kind of making this less, you know, emotional about these trades is is one, we've again, Ike, brace yourself, we've we've written the season off. So that's gotta be huh? part of it. I'm sure I'm sure that's got something to do with it. And I know we've had this conversation in the past where like the middle of the season, July, August is like just I'm not nearly as excited for baseball as I am, you know, early in the spring and late in the season as, as you know, the playoffs are approaching. I mean, it's just a different, you know, they call it the dog days for a reason, right? So fake fan. <laughs> fake fan. Yeah. The opposite of a fair weather fan gets too nice. So Lou doesn't have time to watch the game. She's like, sorry, keep going though. No, nah, that was that was pretty much it. But like, yes, oh, okay. I think your playoff thing, especially, is is we haven't really gone through anything significant with these guys, and I, I mean, yeah, that's that's just a great point. Yeah, Lou, I think your point is like Barrios's best performances as a twin may have come in the dog days of the summers when nobody's really watching, when they're it's out doing other things, when they've lost interest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of kind of. Uh, uh, the twins is a general uh, general topic here. Um, there was a quote from from Shoemaker from AAA. Um, I know Isaiah, you kind of brought this to our attention a little bit. Do you want to talk about what the quote was and uh, you know how how it made you feel a little bit? Yeah, uh, I can't take full credit for this one. I did see it uh, posted by our one true fan, Travel Man. Shout Travel out, Travel Man. Man. Shout out. Hope you're doing well, Shout Travel Man. Out. Yeah. So uh, the Gotta travel get man back on soon. Yeah, agreed. We so the travel man put this out on Twitter. Um, he kind of commented and kind of got me thinking. Uh, but it was it was uh, Matt Shoemaker had he's in kind of like a rehab assignment and he's in AAA in St. Paul with the Saints. Uh, and he had this quote come out after kind of like a decent start or right before a decent start. And he said, "I'm pitching the opposite of how the Twins wanted me to pitch." And this is not a bashing of the twins. The twins wanted to get more out of me in spring training. I understand that. But unfortunately, it failed uh, miserably because we're not all robots. We're individual people. Um, And for me, I I don't know if like anybody else felt this way. But when I first read this quote, I was like, maybe it was just like, he's just like, the twins had higher hopes for him and he just couldn't deliver and he felt bad about it. I was trying to give him like, trying to be on benefit his side a little bit, you know, like, yeah, benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Um, but it's not at all what he was referencing. So I was hundred percent wrong. <laughs> so no benefit of the doubt going to Matt Shoemaker. A real man can um, admit his mistakes. Kudos. Thanks, Connor. Mm-hmm. But what he was referencing was that the twins wanted him to pitch in a specific style, according to sort of like an analytic approach analytical approach um so they wanted him to pitch a certain way he felt that he was better a different way and he kind of just did what they told him to do for most of the season and he's saying that's why my stats were trash this year that's why i was brutal it's because like you guys screwed me up essentially Hmm. um and i don't know like how, how does that make you guys feel like 
is does he have a point? First of all, like, do you think that Schumacher has a point? If you look at some of the ex Twins pitchers who are kind of doing fairly well uh, in the MLB right now, you look at Lance Lynn. You know, Jake Odorizzi's done some things since he left. You have Trevor May, like a guy that we cut ties with, and then you even go back. Like Matt Garza had some good years with the Rays after he left the Twins. Lariano with the Pirates was still good after he left the Twins. Like, do you think that there is a a nugget of truth to what Shoemaker is saying, or is this just a salty pitcher kind of like trying to be like, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, cause the, the big thing I'm uh, that's coming to my mind is like, you know, each system isn't going to work for necessarily for every single guy. Right. So he might not enjoy pitching the way, you know, that, they want him to pitch but that also might just be him being like closed-minded and not willing to change or adapt to what the team is wanting him to do so I think it is a little bit of both sides um but again like I don't know you're a major league pitcher like (laughs) I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say but like I I kind of agree with him but I kind of don't sorry I'm I'm really flip-floppy today yeah you can almost hear him (laughs) walking up behind you at the pool, squeaking shoes and flip-flopping. Um, my initial thoughts on this was that, you know, the the Twins organization has kind of changed over in philosophy, I would say, maybe even a couple times in the last 10 years. So to say it's, you know, even going back a little bit with some of those guys, I don't know what it is. I can't imagine because, you know, Lance Lynn, like he was not um, on the team, at least I believe, was not on the team when Baldelli was the manager, and they've obviously changed a lot. So I don't know if some of it is just some bad luck where it seems like a lot of people are leaving and having success no matter who is in our managerial spot, whether it was Paul Molitor, whether it was now as Baldelli, even with you know Gardy, we had a lot of a decent amount of that where teams are leaving. And so maybe there's something in the water here slash something um, with management where they're, they're all trying to force similar issues throughout the time here. And if that's the case, then there probably is an issue where they leave and have some more freedom. But so a little bit of me says, you know, I don't know if it's something with the twins, but in terms of right now, this core group looking at analytics, I think I agree with them. I think he makes a great point that, pitchers are different. You know, not everybody, sometimes the analytics point towards a, t- a, a specific type of individual, right? So like a lot of the analytics are aimed towards power pitching. Shoemaker is not a power pitcher. That's not his game. Yep. He's going to locate spots. He's going to change speeds. He uh, Really the old twins way, like the Guardy days, the, the Brad Radke style, and not that he's Brad Radke level, but he's more that type of pitcher where let's pitch to contact. Um, and, and maybe some of that's getting lost by the Twins management right now. We, maybe we need to find these guys and appreciate what they do well and put them in spots to succeed because ultimately that's the role of the manager, right, is to find out what we're good at and put our players in spots to succeed. So I do think this is a bit of a blemish on, on the Twins management right now. Um, as far as like going back to like Lance Lynn, Matt Garza, those, I don't necessarily know if they necessarily apply as much just because it's a different core group. But I think Shoemaker makes a great point, and and I I think I understand what he's trying to say right away. I had the same reaction as Dal or as Isaiah, of just like okay, just throw shade on management when you're in AAA. That's a good way to get to the bigs. But <laughs> but I do understand his point where you know he's not the proto- prototype for analytics pitching necessarily. And see, that's the thing to me that feels so backwards about an- the analytical approach if you're using it the way that. You, like you outlined there. It is should like, adjust, right? It should adjust. The analytics is about trying to maximize the players that you have. Like it's, it's a statistical way to understand everybody's strengths and weaknesses to, to, you know, as a pitcher play to your strengths, but also to play to the, the opposing batters weaknesses. It's not about saying like, this is the best mm-hmm. style of pitching overall. Everybody needs to do this. It's about, what are you good at? Like, let's really, really, really understand exactly what you're good at. And let's try to do that as much as we can. That's what analytics should be about. Mm -hmm. Not about a cookie cutter approach. It's like the opposite of that. So that, that feels weird to me. If that's how the twins are using it, that makes zero sense. Yeah. It's like, we're misusing the, the, we have the, we have the recipe. We just don't have the right ingredients going into the (laughs) recipe right now. 
Oh, who knew we had such a cooking show on our hands? Wow. Must have missed lunch. <laughs> well, I think that does it for the twins. Um, some good talk there. We'll definitely dive more into the, the actual trades next week. Um, and, and when Dalt's back, he'll have some good analysis. I'm sure the, uh, the, uh, the new additions to the squad or to the organization is probably a better way to say it. But next, we kind of want to hop, hop into, um, you know, the Olympics are going on right now, and we want to dive in a little bit to the Olympics. So let's just go through. Um, we'll start with Lucas. Um, talk about some of your favorite, and let's try to keep this just to the Summer Olympics. Uh, we can save the winter ones for three years from now when this pod's really up and running. Um, but for now, the Winter Olympics, what are some of your favorite events? Maybe the top three that you have or maybe just some you enjoy. Uh, yeah, some of the uh, the ones I really like to enjoy. Um, kind of an honorable mention for me here is uh, actually the decathlon. I, uh, I find it pretty fascinating that, that, that these that these athletes are just incredible at so many different things. And it's like just watching them grind day in and day out. Usually, I think for a while, there was an American too, an American man who was really good and women who are really good. So it's always fun to watch the home country dominate that. But um, just watching these guys do do all different things and just be good at everything. And typically, the Olympics is so much about you know someone who's so specialized in one specific event, one specific thing. Um, that's why, yeah, I like the decathlon. Not what I expected to hear from you, though. That was a fun little... Uh, I don't think I've ever watched the decathlon. You gotta gotta time it right. You gotta time it right because it's not a prime time, not a prime time event usually. Especially not. It's a Sunday morning on the couch event. Yeah, am I right, Luke? Isaiah, how about you? What what event or events do you really kind of look forward to? Uh, Obviously, I I would assume rhythmic gymnastics would be in there, but I'll let Mm -hmm. you kind of take it from there. Uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on that. No, um, so going in, I was thinking to myself, like going into this year's Olympics, this 2020-21 Olympics, I was like, man, I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch handball and water polo. Those are my two. I just love watching those Electric two. Electric sports. And then I found out they're both extremely boring sports <laughs> to watch. Like handball is, I mean, there's parts of handball that I love where the it's idea just of it is scoring. Cool. Yeah, scoring all the time. Um, but the announcers, when you watch it, do not do a great job of explaining the rules to you. Mm-hmm. So you just are like totally lost because I knew that they had to dribble, but I didn't know when they had to dribble. Turns out they can take three steps. They can jump, though. There's no mm-hmm. like up and down. Uh, or they have three seconds with the ball. But sometimes it's like you're watching and like they'll dribble every single step they take. And other times, they'll run half the floor without dribbling. Uh, but there's some sweet shots that they can collect, like these like sick, like jump up in the air, fake good throw, and then do like a little like spinny one shot. on the ground. Yeah. Like yeah. it has some things that make it fun. But what happens is like the sport just ends up getting played in this like very boring half court style. So they just get to this sort of three point arc and they kind of just stay there and try to make like these small interior passes. And it's like, it's all about the transition. I love a little transition game, Lou. Mm-hmm. You know me. Mm-hmm. I'm a cherry picker, so I love a good transition play. And handball is missing on that. So if they can figure a few things out, I might be back in on handball. Second, water polo. I have so much respect for those people as athletes. That must be like one of the hardest. You're just sports. treading water for it's insane, insane. But it's worse than handball because <laughs> it's like handball, but you can't actually like jump or do cool stuff. So. Sorry, out on water polo. But I remember the prompt, Connor. It was, what are some of your favorite things to watch? One of mine is like the yeah, we stuff just that they on do. All the like, Olympic events? Good Lord. Yeah. Is whitewater rafting like... In yeah, like a there's kayak? a kayaking yeah. Uh, event. Yeah. Yeah. I have not yeah. seen, but I'm excited to catch it. Yeah, that one is cool. It's just cool. And it just feels fresh. Like you just, the water looks nice. You just want to be, it makes you want to go outside. So I like that one in the summer. It's funny, Isaiah, because handball, I had a strikingly similar take. Um, I remember just really enjoying watching that um, in Rio and just thinking it was so cool. Like, I love the throws. These guys are so athletic, just hanging in the air. And then they're like about to land and then they throw it. But again, it just needs a little bit more tempo. Like, I don't know if there would be, uh, if if there is, again, they don't do a good job of, of, of explaining the rules, which maybe 
No shot clock. Yeah, I was going to say some sort of yeah, shot clock no shot would clock. be really interesting. Like you give them, they take possession and you run down the court and you have 12 seconds once you pass half or something like that, like they do in the three-on-three basketball because that's been an event that I think I've enjoyed a little bit more than I thought I would. The three-on-three basketball is kind of fun because they have a 12-second shot clock and you got to get the ball up. So there's a lot of three two-pointers, excuse me, taken and then um, obviously one-pointer inside the arc. But the event that I was originally going to say is water polo. I love it. I've always loved it. I think they're incredible athletes. To be able to do what they do in water and then also have someone borderline trying to drown them because they do let you get away with a lot off the ball in water polo. I know I talked about this. (laughs) They get get feisty in that water. Duncan talked about a couple... Connor's an elite water polo mind. Just watching the... Not even watching the ball. He's watching all the movement around the ball. Love to hear it. Yeah. I love watching the scraps in front of the net. Like I was watching the U.S. versus China. I talked about that, uh, um, I think, last week or the week before. And that was it was fun to watch them scrapping in front of the net. Um, but for me, beach volleyball is one of the most exciting ones. Um, yep. Yeah. Yes. It's just there's there's you can you feel like you could like, oh, like I kind of get it. I could I could like survive playing volleyball in general on the beach, like not against those athletes, but like we've all had like a fun time playing beach volleyball or like sand volleyball. And I think it's really just a relatable sport where like they're diving around having fun. It's like they're, you know, 10 years old again. Obviously, it's extremely competitive, but it's just kind of a fun sport to be had. Um. One thing I did have a thought last night, actually watching the U.S. men's volleyball team. I am, I think women's volleyball is infinitely Way more fun to watch oh, yeah. than men's volleyball. Yep. We had this exact conversation. So yep. Yep. Wait, yeah. we did. It's because of rallies. No, it's because of rallies. Oh yeah, exactly. I was watching last night. So hard. Bump, it's, it's all set, or spike, point over, or block out of bounds. It's over. Yeah. It's, it's so not boring. fun to watch. Yeah, not fun to men's. Watch. I mean, I respect them. Their athleticism's incredible. These guys are flying through the air. Like I talked about men's handball or handball in general. Men's volleyball, these guys are jumping out of the gym, and it's really impressive. But after about three hits, you're like, I kind of know what way this is going to go. And the, the, I will say the serves are incredible. They are yeah, flying, they but it's just boring compared to women's volleyball. I would much rather watch women's volleyball. Um, one sport I was excited for that I haven't got to see surfing. I don't know how they score it. I don't know how much of that works, but I think it'd be a ton of fun to watch the potentially the best surfers in the world, right? Uh, so that's, that's yeah. the one thing I'm excited for. Surfing is one you need a good announcer to really explain it's it's a lot like all the board sports like skiing it's like skateboarding snowboarding where you need somebody who really knows what's going on to do a good job of explaining to you why what they're doing is really good in terms of the points that they get because you can watch and be like amazed by a surfer but there's nuance to the scoring so it's Mm -hmm. nice to have somebody who's good at their job to tell you like why that why that run and this little move was so much better than the previous one that looked almost identical, but like with a few key differences, but I'm with you. Surfing is crazy. I don't know how they keep their feet on the board. They're like glued to the board. Oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Uh, I had one other thought too. Um, This may be a popular or unpopular opinion. I'm not sure, but I was talking about it this week. I think, and this may be just with an American spin on it, so maybe that's not a great look, but I think that sports that have large-scale championships, in mostly in team sports, don't need to be a part of the Olympics. Like, I don't think baseball needs to be a part of the Olympics because we have a World Series that are literally the best athletes in the world competing for a championship. Similarly, I don't think basketball needs to be a part of the Olympics. We have a league that is basically the best athletes in the world competing for a championship. Soccer, that's probably not an, that's probably not a popular opinion, but same thing. I would much rather watch the World Cup. It's basically the same thing. So why do we have it with the Olympics as well? I think some of these team sports that are you know, I would call like major sports around the world don't need to be a part of the Olympics. I think you take them away. I think the Olympics is the time to shine for sports that are individual sports or more off the beaten path sports. That's just my opinion. Not sure how you feel about it. I was trying to golf is another one. It is individual, but there are like major events for golf that, that makes it special. You don't need the Olympics in my opinion. I, um, 
I don't hate that take, Connor. Um, essentially, the reasoning being, you know, tennis too. Sorry. <laughs> well, like in my mind, an Olympic gold medal or an Olympic championship, whatever, is should be the epitome of the sport, right? And yeah, if there's exactly. something like the World Series, the World Cup, anything like that that overshadows potentially winning a gold medal or even a medal, is like, I don't know. And like uh, baseball is a great example. MLB guys just don't even play. Like they're playing in the Not MLB right to. now. Yeah, I know. Not so like to. if this is supposed to be the best event in the world for this sport and we can't even have the best players playing in it, like should it even be a thing? It's a good point, Connor. Mike, any thoughts? Maybe a counter? Yeah, my only counter is that literally every one of these sports has a world championship every single year. That's my one thing. And I know it doesn't get as much shine and as much sure. publicity, but it does for anybody who cares about equestrian it does for anybody who cares specifically about fencing it does for anybody who cares specifically about football or you know like not football whatever yeah we got but, yeah. i think <laughs> I so, that, so yeah oh, no you go, go ahead. ahead go ahead well i was just gonna say so it's like this is all of these things together that people who don't follow any of these sports casually get to watch together in one big group but there are people who are huge handball fans who don't know anything about American basketball and they do not care. So mm. when they come and play for the Olympics, that's their time to watch American basketball played. Whereas it's our time where we're watching handball and they're like, well, like maybe there's a guy over there in Europe saying that the euros for handball are way more important. And maybe this is your point about team sports, but it's mm -hmm. way more important than the Olympics or even like a world championship. Cause there's world records that are better than Olympic records. When you look at swimming, when I mean, they have those little lines, like mm -hmm. some of the, the world records are better than Olympic records. So that's my one thing on that. I think there is a, is there's a specific group of people that care about the specific sport every single year. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think every sport in the entire world has like this group of loyal fans. But I think I view the Olympics as sports that don't get the coverage that other sports do. Like even in Europe, I would bet, you know, American, the NBA probably gets way better coverage than the majority of these sports. And I think that's my view is that, you know, that this should allow this, that, that to shine. Like, I don't even know, maybe there is like a world championship league of table tennis somewhere but it's one of those things where i don't think the average sports fan anywhere in the world would be like would know a lot of these like oh yeah the professional table tennis league or things like that whereas you go anywhere and they will know like the nfl or they'll know the the english premier league or they'll know the nba and so i view those as like more where they, i'm sure they have their pockets of fandom like you said but i just don't think it's as strong as like or as well known a brand which is what which is really cool about the olympics is they expose these lesser known sports and we can all appreciate them once every four years and that's it for two weeks that's all they get yeah. business idea though connor so like talked about tennis and how it has championships golf it has championships mm -hmm. if those sports didn't have those four tournaments every year this olympics would be just as big for them so, and nobody listening, take this TM. business idea. We create like a championship tournament or like a big tournament for table tennis or for some of these other sports oh, in the Olympics. Yeah. And, you know, like we become Augusta and we are the masters. We, we are it. the people behind the masters and we popularize one of these other sports. We create a U.S. Open. We create... Those probably all already exist, but I think we need one like Augusta. We need the Masters for mm -hmm. table tennis. I, I love the idea. Uh, TM, obviously, naturally, this is a legal binding contract that we've assumed the rights to this. But I love the idea. I think that'd be, that that that's that would be great. It'd be sweet. Yeah. yeah. My my last little note that I had written down on the Olympics here is I'm one disappointment is that I think. I'm hoping in the next Olympics that there will be a spike ball, but if not the next one, the one after that, I think that's one of those events that would fit into the Olympics really well. If, if it's not across the world yet, I think it will be soon and it'll be a ton of fun to watch that on an Olympic scale. Um, and I'm also just a hard O for spike ball. So that definite, definite bias there. Beach, clay, grass, hardcore. What Ooh. are we talking 
a little bit of everything. I think you got to go beach, but I think mm-hmm. spike ball has the potential to be like a tennis where they do that. They, you can have events on clay, grass. They, there's probably even more options water for spike ball. They have, they have nets. Yeah, we have spike buoys. Like we can play in the water. Hell yeah. At the buoys, baby. At the buoys, baby. Um, one question I did want to propose, unless anyone had anything else on that topic. If you could remove one event from the Olympics, other than the kind of the, the big ones we talked about, which, which might be from the, you know, the big markets perspective, what event would you remove? What do you not see as worthy for the Olympics? I'd say we just do three quarters as many swimming events as we do now. There's too many swimming events. They wow. get way too many chances to win stuff. Wow. There shouldn't be that many swimming events. So I'm not taking out swimming as a whole, but there's a reason the most decorated Olympians of all time are just swimmers. It's because every four years they get a chance to win one of 15 medals. So I would a a few fewer swimming events. I would counter that with then would you take way more track events? Yeah, there'd be a few fewer, few fewer. Okay, just a few. Because I'm I'm a swimming guy. I love I love the swimming events. I don't think that's any secret. Um, But mine, I I think honestly, I and this is pretty much just because I don't really get it. I would take away equestrian. I don't understand its value to the Olympics. I don't really think it's engaging to watch, to be honest. And maybe that's an unpopular opinion. Um, I'm not a huge like animal pet owner type of guy anyways. So like pets really don't get me fired up in a lot of ways. So that could be part of it. Obviously, horses are are um, part of the family for a lot of these owners, I'm sure. But equestrian to me just is boring. I don't know. I don't get it. I'd say get rid of it if we could. I think... <laughs> I am going to go sailing. Haven't really ever watched it, so kind of a kind of a blind take here, but to me the Olympics is <laughs> is like all these other events people are doing all this stuff physically with their bodies and they're like pushing their bodies to the extent. I'm not saying that sailing isn't, but you're operating a machine, you're operating a boat. So all the biking stuff. That's operating the machine. Honestly, you could argue hey, shooting. Yeah. That was my next one. Would it be shooting? I, I don't, don't even know what that is. To be honest, I can't really talk too much about it. I don't know what the shooting event is. They just throw the clay pigeons and you shoot them. Oh, wow. Okay. That is pretty boring. I think. I mean, I don't really watch that one either. So I'd be fine with that one gone too. Boom. just wants to gut the Olympics. Yeah, here you go. Let me just go down the list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lou, let's hear your podium. What's your top three of Olympic events or sports? Uh, yep. So I have uh, the decathlon taking the bronze, uh, beach volleyball, uh. silver, and I didn't mention it, but gymnastics. I am just in awe of some of the things that these young women and men can do. Any pretty much any event they do is just crazy to me how that how it's physically possible. So, oof. there you go. Cold, silver, bronze. Mike, what do you have for your uh, your podiums here? Uh, I know I just said I want less swimming, but bronze for me is swimming. Uh, and it's just because of the high-pitched <laughs> announcer. He's Rowdy. so funny. Yeah, he's so funny. He just gets, he, he draws gets, me in so well. He gets well. into it, yeah. Yep. So swimming gets the bronze. Enough medals for swimming. And two, uh, funny enough, is sprinting uh, is my second gets silver. I know I said I want to cut that, but I really just care about the 100, the 100, and the 200. It's just so... It's, it it just, gets your blood pumping. Yeah, and you don't have to be like locked in for this huge, long event. It's just 30 seconds mm-hmm. of done. Boom. And my gold goes to uh, soccer. I love watching uh, national-scale soccer. I think it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that kind of contradicts my point as well. I will say I soccer's one that specifically that I love watching on a national scale because there's so many nations that are so good at it. It's not like a lot of these team sports where there's like three or four, five countries that dominate it. Even still, I think it would be great if it was gone just and leave the World Cup as the World Cup. But regardless, my top three water polo coming in number three, um, avid water polo guy. 
honestly, I'm starting to realize I, I love water sports in general. Like as a person, I'm much more of like a water slide versus a roller coaster guy. Like that's just me for whatever reason. I'm way more comfortable in the water than I am anywhere else. Very aquatic. Um, super aquatic. And number, the silver for me is going to be beach volleyball. So we are out of the water, but we're still pretty damn close. Close to it. Yeah. Um, beach volleyball is a ton of fun. I think it, yeah, you could just go on for days about what a great sport it is. And finally, my my gold medal sport for the Summer Olympics is swimming. Uh, specifically, similar idea of Isaiah. I like the sprints. Like I want to see the hundred free, where they're just busting tail. Um, I mean, like the 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 hundred fly is also a fun event some of the relays are exciting because like it's cool to watch people work together but the in general i want to see the fun. sprint events yeah. i want to see guys that don't even breathe in their event it's just like you just go 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 so water polo beach volleyball swimming my podium there solid and with that i think that wraps up this week's uh mini market podcast so a little minnesota sports talk and then some some of our olympic thoughts so um thanks again for joining us um feel free to subscribe or comment uh the mini market podcast also check out our blogs we're gonna have more blogs coming out here on a more regular basis going forward on tellemsports.com thanks for joining us we'll see you next week go wolves peace bye I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.